0: From the Boston Globe, this is Rhode Island Report. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. I want to welcome you to our first ever episode of Rhode Island Report, the podcast where we bring you big stories from our very small state. Conversations with newsmakers, politicos, activists, leaders in business, arts, and education, and a lot of people who sound just like me, and maybe like you too. You'll hear from Rhode Islanders from Westerly to Insocket on the hottest topics in the state we all call home. The issues we're debating at the water cooler, or maybe the virtual water cooler these days. The stories dominating headlines. Those only in Rhode Island things that make this place so unique. You'll also get perspective and analysis from my colleagues on the Globe Rhode Island team. Today, we've got a great first guest for you. She's been a household name in Rhode Island for years. Now she's packing her bags in Providence and heading to Washington to help President Joe Biden deliver on his economic agenda. I'm talking, of course, about Gina Raimondo, former Rhode Island governor and current U.S. Commerce Secretary. I asked Secretary Raimondo what she'll miss most about Rhode Island, other than her favorite pizza place in Greenville, how she's trying to win Republican support for the president's infrastructure plan, and what the U.S. should be doing about economic aggression from China. We'll be back with Secretary Raimondo after a short break.
1: Hey, this is Amanda Melkovitz. I'm a reporter with the Boston Globe's Rhode Island Bureau. I've been covering Rhode Island for two decades, but let me tell you, there's something new every single day, which is why you should check out Globe Rhode Island. Politics, healthcare, business, crime, education, lifestyle. Our team of Rhode Island-based reporters is on the ground every day covering the stories that matter most by Rhode Islanders for Rhode Islanders. Find it all at globe.com slash Rhode Island. That's globe.com slash Rhode Island. Subscribe today.
0: In March, Gina Raimondo became the 40th United States Secretary of Commerce. Previously, she had served as Rhode Island's 75th governor and the state's first female governor. She also was the state treasurer. She co-founded a venture capital firm, and she grew up in Greenville, Rhode Island. Madam Secretary, thank you for joining us for the first episode of Rhode Island Report. Thank you, Ed. It's exciting to be back. Let's start in Greenville, since that's where both you and I started. We both grew up in the Greenville section of Smithfield, and I remember interviewing you at Athens Pizza when you first became governor. So now that you're working in Washington, let me ask you, what are you going to miss most about Rhode Island, and what are you going to miss most about Greenville besides the the pepperoni pizza at Athens?
1: Besides that, you took the best thing off the table. (laughs) Uh, I think I'm going to miss the beach the most about Rhode Island. As you know, Ed, I'm a, I'm a big beach person. Galilee, right? Galilee, San Cove, East Matunic, I love them all. And Greenville. I probably miss Deerfield Park. I, I had a lot of good times there. I love, you know, I love Rhode Island. I'm going to miss it all.
0: You've been working out of the federal courthouse in Providence at times, but when will you be moving to DC? And most importantly, what do your children, Tommy and Cece, think of this whole idea?
1: That is the that's the million dollar question. We're going to let the kids finish school this school year and then we'll move down in June as a family. And I think they're excited. You know, they are. I think that, you know, on that scale of nervous and excited, they go back and forth. But at the moment, I think they're more excited than nervous.
0: Now, I remember when then-Vice President Biden came to Rhode Island in 2016 to drum up support for your roadworks infrastructure plan. And now you're in Washington trying to uh, gain support for Biden's national infrastructure plan. Both plans faced opposition to truck tolls here in Rhode Island and to a corporate tax rate uh, increase in D.C. So what are you telling President Biden about what you learned in Rhode Island that applies to the infrastructure plan? And how do you go forward if Republicans draw the line on raising the corporate tax rate? So it's such
1: a good question. For me, it's exciting to be part of the president's jobs cabinet because a lot of what we're doing – a lot of the president's plan is very similar to what we did here. Invest in infrastructure, invest in roads and bridges, invest in job training, you know, get, get the economy back on track by investing in the basics. The message is change is hard and you got to keep going. You know, we, we are facing opposition. As you just said, the Republicans are um, not necessarily warmly embracing all aspects of the president's vision. But what he says to us is stay at it. You know, if we say to the president, this is hard, he says, stay at it, stay at the table. He believes in his core in bipartisanship. You know, he grew up in the Senate uh, when it when it worked and he is determined for some bipartisanship. So, yeah,
0: yeah, he's brought the infrastructure price tag down from two point three million to one point seven. The Republicans have talked about a one trillion dollar counterproposal. Yeah. What are you doing to try to bridge that gap?
1: Talking, 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 talking. The president's willing to compromise. I give him a lot of credit. He has I was in the Oval Office with him and the Republican group. And he was very honest with them. You know, he says, I will compromise. This is my deal. Give me your deal. And it's just
0: back and forth, back and forth. Stay at the table. Let's talk about unemployment. In April, 266,000 jobs were added in the United States. That's a quarter of the number analysts expected and a drop from March. Is there reason to be worried? And does it show, as critics say, that the recovery package was too expensive and incentivized people not to work? Uh, No, absolutely not. I mean, look,
1: we needed it. We had a a once-in-a-generation crisis. We we still have 2 million women who have dropped out of the workforce and haven't returned. Um, I've we've never seen that in our lifetime. So, in, and by the way, Americans are still hurting. You know, just because you have a job doesn't mean you're doing fine. If you have a job paying $12 an hour, no health care, and you can't afford your bills. So there's a whole lot more work to do.
0: Senator Ted Cruz placed a hole in your nomination as Commerce Secretary, citing your refusal to commit to blacklisting the Chinese telecommunications company Huawei over espionage concerns. First of all, did you tell Senator Cruz to knock it off? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I should have. And while Huawei remains on the U.S. entities list, what what is the Commerce Department doing to be tough on China?
1: Yeah, we're going to leave them on the entities list. Actually, since I've been the secretary only a couple of months, we've added six or seven more companies to the entities list, all Chinese. And we've even issued some subpoenas against Chinese tech companies to require them to give us information. So... Listen, China. China is not changing. They are not our friend. They are anti-competitive. So we need to be serious about it, and that's going to be my posture, our posture.
0: For years now, census projections have shown that Rhode Island was going to lose one of our two House seats. Uh, the Census Bureau falls under the Commerce Department, and so so give us some insight. How in the world did we manage to avoid losing a House seat? Yeah.
1: Listen, I, first of all, was not surprised. I didn't think we were going to lose the seat because as governor, I saw, I saw the numbers. You know, our vibrancy was coming back. Younger people were staying. People were here. But truthfully, the credit goes to everyone who worked hard in the full count effort. You know, Mayor Diosa, Courtney Hawkins, the CODEL, my team. We worked our butts off to make sure everybody was counted which was really hard in the summer, in a pandemic, people afraid because of Trump's rhetoric around immigration. And they got the job done. They counted they counted everybody and as a result, we get our representation.
0: Did, did your experience in Rhode Island teach any lessons that you're gonna bring to preparing for the 2030 census?
1: A great question. I think a few things. Number one is use technology. Very helpful to reach everybody if you leverage technology. Number two, you just have to be creative in reaching hard-to-reach populations. You have to go into the community, recognizing people are afraid, people don't want to answer the door, and just be creative and dogged and make sure you get into those communities.
0: Okay, I've got to ask a semiconductor question. The uh, semiconductor shortage is not as sexy an issue as the 610 connector. (laughs) But I'm curious to hear what you and the Biden team plan to do to increase semiconductor manufacturing in the United States since the shortage is such a drag on the economy.
1: Yes, great question. So this is the topic that I'm spending most of my time on and literally right now, I am really hopeful that the Senate will pass a a bill which will put $52 billion into the Commerce Department and we can use that money to incentivize companies to build manufacturing operations in America. By the way, on a personal level, and you might appreciate this, it's been really special for me to work so closely with Senator Reid um, I was talking to him yesterday on this semiconductor bill. He has a terrific amendment for the bill, and he's he's an amazing advocate for Rhode Island. And it's been fun for me to work with him to try to get this get this passed. All but and how many how many
0: factories do you think that could produce? Half a dozen, six, seven. If I could ask one more question: In early May, you were here at the Wexford Building with Vice President Harris making the case for the American Jobs Plan and the American Families Plan. First, why did she come to a blue state like Rhode Island as opposed to a red state that might need convincing? And how do you convince critics that the infrastructure plan should include child care?
1: Mm, good questions. She wanted to come here, so, of course, I was excited to bring her and show off our great state. Uh, how do you convince critics? It's a really good question. I will say this. Even in red states, people are struggling to find child care. Even in red states, women aren't able to go back to work because they can't find child care. And in every state, people saw during the pandemic how incredibly disruptive it is to our economy and our lives when child care centers close. So because of that experience during the pandemic, I think a lot of people have gotten religion around the importance of child care. Um, because of the pandemic, and there, and we just have to keep reminding everybody um even now when when we're kind of you know getting to be post pandemic, how important child care is in order to keep take care of our kids but also allow moms and dads to go to work.
0: Finally, I've been curious about how you felt about leaving the governor's office before the pandemic ended.
1: yes, great question. Um, so for me. It was okay because I was able to close the field hospitals before I left, start the vaccination process, get the whole vaccination infrastructure up and running, and we could see light at the end of the tunnel. On a personal level, I've never shared this with anyone, but I, um, I don't think I could have left, would have left, if I didn't know we could get the field hospitals closed, and get, get things on a good path. But because we were able to do that, I felt, okay, I, I, got, I got us through and now I can sleep at night and go,
0: go do something else. Madam Secretary, thank you for joining us today for our very first Rhode Island Report.
1: Have me back anytime. I think you're doing a great job and it's great to see you.
0: Thank you. Here are a few other stories you should check out this week from Globe Rhode Island. My colleague Dan McGowan has a column about how the Rhode Island Convention Center played a crucial role as a field hospital during the pandemic. Now, it will play a pivotal role in how well the state economy rebounds. Alexa Gigas has an in-depth story about Brown University's plans to tear down homes and a mini-mart to make way for two large dorms. She talks with homeowners, some of whom are worried that the school's tax-exempt status could cause their property taxes to rise. And stay tuned for Amanda Milkovitz's epic hike on Rhode Island's high peaks, such as they are. Find all these stories and more at globe.com slash Rhode Island. That's globe.com slash Rhode Island. Rhode Island Report is a production of the Boston Globe. Today's episode was produced by Caitlin Harrop, Carlos Munoz, and Scott Hellman. Audio mixing and mastering by Ned Porter. Music by APM. Have an idea for a guest you'd like to hear? A story you think we should cover? Send us an email at rinews@globe.com. And if you'd like the show, please leave us a review on apple podcasts i'm ed fitzpatrick see you next thursday